This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. In 1989, the famed writer-thinker on gardening, human nature, and most recently, food, Michael Pollan, wrote a piece for the New York Times entitled, Why Mow? The Case Against Lawns. In this piece, Mr. Pollan wrote, Gardening is a painstaking exploration of place. Everything that happens in my garden, the thriving and dying of particular plants, the maraudings of various insects, teaches me to know my patch of land intimately, its geology and microclimate, the particular ecology of its local weeds and animals and insects. My garden prospers to the extent I grasp these particularities and adapt to them. Lawns work on the opposite principle. They depend on their success on the overcoming of local conditions, end quote. He goes on to write elsewhere that when an American rips out his or her lawn, he or she becomes perforce a gardener. Today, we'll explore this concept from two sides. In the first half of the program, we'll speak with Evan Markey, conservation officer in charge of the turf replacement program with Cal Water, a publicly traded company delivering water in Northern California. In the wake of the ongoing drought in our region, in 2015, Cal Water and the state of California both issued incentives to homeowners and businesses to replace their lawns with drought-tolerant plants and permeable surfaces. These incentives, in the form of financial rebates, were met with huge enthusiasm in some areas, creating a great many front yard gardens throughout our cities and suburbs. In the second half of the program, we'll hear from Renda Glick, who, with her husband Terry Kaiser, was one of the households that accepted this lawn removal challenge and experienced what she refers to as a life-changing event. Let's start with the water use. Welcome, Evan. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about the scope of your work with CalWater and how you came to be part of this program with CalWater. 2015, June 1st was the date that all the drought regulations went into effect, and that was the same day that I started my uh, role as a conservation coordinator. So it was a very hectic time, as you can imagine. We were rolling out a lot of new prog- uh, programs, uh, specifically the turf rebate uh, or turf removal rebate program was the most um, popular and mm-hmm. it, uh, garnered the most um, support from the community. So we um, started out for Chico uh, with an initial budget of around $50,000. And for our program, you would, uh, for every square foot of lawn that you removed and replaced with uh, drought tolerant landscaping, uh, we would credit you back a dollar. So uh, for residential customers, there was a limit of a thousand square foot, uh, square feet or a thousand dollars. For commercial customers, that limit would go up to $10,000 or 10,000 square feet. Um, the, um, the, we had such a um, dramatic outpouring of, of people who wanted to participate in the program that within, I believe, three days we had um, gone through our initial budget for that program. Um, so um, over the course of the next month, 
We continually added more money to that program um, until we got to, I believe, $215,000 or 215,000 square feet of lawn that we had um, foot you know, or earmarked for removal uh, before we did have to discontinue the program, unfortunately. But for customers to participate in the program, they had to submit their uh, photos of their lawn before, before mm-hmm. photos. And our program was starting in June. Um, we were actually given anyone credit who had who had let their lawn die as of January 1st 2015 so even if, if even if people had stopped watering their lawns prior to that and they were already in kind of a state of uh, disrepair or they were dying uh, we were still giving people credit for that so um, anybody who who submitted I believe we're looking for two or three pictures about uh, you know of, of before uh, they would also submit a plan of what they wanted to do um, whether they were just going to replace it with sod or I mean pull out the sod replace it with bar or mulch or, or decomposed granite and then there also had to be uh, by the time the plants were mature they needed to have 50% uh, coverage with with drought tolerant plants as well so we really wanted this to be um, something that was you know obviously per- permeable um, but also a, a natural environment that that you know the wildlife could still use and, and, and something that's healthy um, and, and not, you know, we, we didn't include artificial turf in our program. We, you know, all the um, hardscape had to be permeable. So they really wanted to make, you know, healthy environments for uh, the wildlife. Who developed the criteria for these elements? Um, it was our conservation, our conservation department at Calwater is actually based out of our uh, Rancho Dominguez office. So um, our, our conservation um manager down there, I believe that they, and they had input from, from similar programs throughout the state, um, and they chose which criteria they thought would best fit what we were trying to accomplish. The kinds of plants that were on the approved list, what kinds of plants did they include? So we didn't actually have, and we still don't actually have a approved list, like you can only use plants on this list. Um, we have a number of you know, um, lists that are suggestions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we would pretty much take anyone's, their plan that they were planning to do, look through it. And if there was anything that stood out that, no, this is not, you know, obviously this is not drought friendly. This is, this requires a lot of water. Then maybe we'd contact the customer and say, I don't, you know, this one might not work and you substitute in something else. But we were really very lenient on the types of plants. Um, as long as they were obviously, you know, drought friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, we we weren't, I think, getting too hung up on um, having a narrow scope of plants that people could choose from. We wanted them to have freedom to create something that that they thought was aesthetically pleasing and um, also functional for for their situation. So, and you would think would allow a lot more. Um, ownership on their part and Definitely. creativity and engagement. So that's good. And basically, I think you could probably put in, you know, almost anything, and it would be less thirsty than than turf. Definitely. So, um, so then you mentioned in the description of things that weren't allowed the importance of having a permeable surface, mm-hmm. and that you decided as a as a group to not include uh, artificial turf. Why and um, you know, from your experience, what what you know about so it? So specifically on the on the permeable side, um, you know, we really wanted to encourage the you know reuptake of the of the natural uh, rainwater back into our um, aquifer, um, and you know, permeable surfaces or excuse me, non permeable surfaces, obviously 
don't support that. You get you'll get just water running off from your driveway into the gutter pan, and then it's just you know into the storm drains and back out to the river into the ocean. Um, so we had a real focus on trying to keep as much of that water as we could here, um, you know, and have it you know permeate back down into our our aquifers and keep our uh, local um, aquifers healthy. Um, the artificial turf um, we weren't particularly trying to take a stance against artificial turf by um, disallowing it from our program. Um, it was simply that there was a lot of information out there that was that indicated artificial turf probably isn't the best thing for the environment overall. It's um, it, it takes water to uh, clean it. So, uh, people use water to cool it down. We're not really sure, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to take a stance either way about the types of chemicals that are in there, but there's a evidence to support that they're, you know, may not be healthy. So um, we really just wanted to distance ourselves from the whole option of artificial turf and um, really go with something that is 100% natural um, and, and healthy for the environment. So. I applaud you. <laughs> yes, most of the research coming out as to what the artificial turf does to uh, the ground underneath it and the microorganisms yeah. in that soil, to say nothing of the uh, breakdown of the chemicals made to produce it, uh, yeah, it's a it's a complex issue Definitely. and certainly not a natural option. Mm -hmm. And that that loop that you um, outlined on uh, water and permeable surfaces is such an important one and one I think that we often fail to see um, really immediately. I, I think unless you are quite close to open surface water, you sort of understand it, but it's not a very clear loop. But um, especially in our region where aquifers are struggling and all, you know, all records are indicating that the aquifers are subsiding uh, is uh, worrisome and that ability for rainwater or wa you know irrigation water to percolate into the soil to water the plants that are there to f get filtered while while it's percolating and then recharge the aquifer is of vital importance to our plants and soils to our aquifers and to the health of our surface water um, so do you have any real success stories to share with us of a lawn that was transformed into a place of, of beauty and engagement for, for the customer you were working with? There, there was actually one, and it wasn't even a residential customer. It was a uh, business complex that had, I think it was 7,500 square feet of, of lawn that was being used for literally nothing. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was just... Um, know aesthetically pleasing I guess for some people if, if they drove by and saw a nice green lawn um, and the owner of that building did tear it all out replace it all with uh, mulch and, and drought tolerant plants and he to him it was really just a money saving thing um, but when he was done he was blown away by how much the uh, tenants um, loved it and and how much more appealing it was to them than the lawn so i think that and, and which was a surprise to him and i think that especially with uh some of our commercial customers um you see those industrial complexes or, or business offices with with all this lawn that is just ornamental mm -hmm. um and i think there's a real reluctance to let go of it because they think it's going to affect their bottom line um and seeing the transformation 
and seeing the way that, that the people that worked there and spent a lot of time there really did appreciate it really changed his perspective. And I think, it, you know, that's a positive message that, that you know, other you know, business or industrial complexes that have one is purely ornamental. Uh, they don't really need to hold on to it. Yeah. Uh, there are alternatives. So. And that's a nice uh, message, even if just one person makes, especially that's a pretty big lawn, mm-hmm. you know, changed over, it, it pays forward in a yeah. lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. What, um, do you have any statistics on the like percentage of the population who took advantage of the how many lawns were removed and put we, in just with your program alone? So we did, um, to, to date right now, we have um, helped remove and replace uh, over 151,000 square feet here in Chico. Um, I know that the numbers in those other outlying districts are smaller to be, uh, but I think they, they would probably account for another 50,000 square feet uh, close in there. So um, all told in the region to date, you know, we've, we've helped remove over 200,000 square feet um, of lawn and, and the, the water savings that come with that, we haven't been able to calculate yet, or I don't have the numbers. I know they are working on that, but we do figure in, you know, in the summertime um, for our average residential customer, the, um, the amount of water they use on their lawn is roughly 75% of their total water that they use. And I think in 2013, when we set our, our baseline numbers for conservation uh, for an average single family residential home in Chico, that was about 32 CCFs per month, which is what we use to bill. Um, so if you if you imagine uh, 75% of that is, is what, 24 CCFs, uh, my math might be off, but each CCF is 750 gallons. Multiply that, that's, that's over 15,000 gallons a month mm-hmm. um, that you're, you're probably saving. I mean, obviously you're not completely eliminating water use when you, when you switch to drought tolerant, but you are dramatically reducing. Uh, reducing. Yeah. So um, you spread that over, you know, maybe figure 1,000 square feet for, per uh, customer. So yeah, um, what's that, 200,000? So we've gotten over 200 customers. I'm you know, doing really rough math in right. my head right now, but that's probably 3 million gallons a month easily. And so uh, those are yeah. significant numbers, mm-hmm. even yeah. even rough numbers. The And that is, of course, in... Uh, addition to the state program yes. so you can you can double all those numbers at least mm-hmm. and that that is ongoing and your program is ongoing in some of the outlying areas that haven't yet hit their their budget and but as a region we have i believe met our water saving uh, goals set by state conservation and that's impressive yes yeah, so the, the this community has done a fantastic job uh, with the um, meeting the the targets that the state set for us um, I believe cumulatively as of the end of June we were uh, just shy of 40 percent uh, the initial target for Chico was 32. Um, in February of 2016, that target was dropped down to, to 29% um, due to climate factors and population growth. The, the state did allow for a little bit of, of um, leeway there, but and, and, and our, our conservation numbers have actually gone up since then. So I don't think people are really um, strictly conserving just because we've asked them to, or there's, there's a financial incentive to, con- to conserve. I really think that people are finding that 
the behavioral changes that they've made over the last year um, are going to be permanent. Um, and also some of the other water fix, you know, the, the turf removal. Um, we, we offer other rebate programs for high efficiency toilets, high efficiency washing machines, and those things will be in place for a number of years and you, we will continue to see those savings. So I really do think that, that this is more of a permanent change than just a kind of a band-aid, you know, that we placed on it while we were in the drought and, and then we can go back to, to business as usual. Excellent. That is, that is a hopeful thought. And, um, Hopefully, as well, we have a lot more gardeners on our hands and yeah. a lot less lawnmowers. Definitely. So. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Today, we're joined by Evan Markey, Conservation and Turf Replacement Officer with Cal Water in Interior, Northern California. He's talking with us about his experiences with homeowners and businesses who took up the challenge to remove their lawns in his area. We'll be right back after the break to speak with Renda Glick, a homeowner who took this turf replacement challenge. Stay with us. Welcome back. Before the break, we began our conversation with Evan Markey of Calwater in Northern California, talking about the response in his region to his company's offer of rebates to homeowners and businesses who replace their lawns with drought-tolerant plantings and permeable mulch. We're now joined by Renda Glick, who, with her husband, Terry Kaiser, and the help of a professional garden designer, John Whittlesey, as a consultant, made the decision to remove their lawn in the spring of 2015. In its place, they now have a lovely, lively, habitat-friendly garden, including many natives. Welcome, Renda. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about um, the background on this. Were you and your husband gardeners before the lawn removal? Not at all. We were uh, typical in that we had a large lawn, very long, boulevards were grass, um, and we had a, a weekly lawn service who came and uh, was mowing blow, and we had our four times a year people come out and feed the lawn. We really didn't even know how to plant a plant. So, so what inspired the lawn removal? Um, well, we knew that lawns were not... Uh, water-friendly, and for a long time we had wanted to remove our lawn, but it seemed overwhelming to us. We didn't know how to do it. Um, And then last year, I'm pretty active in the Snow Goose Festival, and I attended a workshop that John Whittlesey had put on uh, about less lawn, more wildlife, (laughs) and uh, I was hoping that he would talk about how to do this process, and it was Excellent. And we came home and I talked to my husband and we decided we're doing it. And so talk about the process from there. That would have been January of 2015. And were you aware of rebates and incentives being offered or was this really a personal decision made outside of that realm? It was a personal decision. Um, We did find out uh, right about the time we finished our project that there was a rebate, and we did uh, apply for that um, because they let us back apply, and uh, we did get, I think, $1,000 for our rebate. What square footage of lawn do you recall that you removed? Um, It's over 5,000 square feet of lawn was removed. A lot. We have a third of an acre here. Yeah. And talk about the timeline from from there. Um, the project actually was much uh, more time-consuming than we thought it was going to be, uh, partly because 
uh, we had some obstacles to overcome. Um, but it took us about three months to do the project, and we did all of the work ourselves other than we did hire some Chico State students for some uh, digging. We had uh, we have very poor soil here, so um, it took us three months. Um, we opted to go with the uh, cardboard mulching because um, I didn't want to spray Roundup. I guess there's several uh, methods you can do, so um, you know, three months. We removed 109 sprinklers from our front yard. 109. And tell uh, listeners, please, the water reduction that resulted just from that. Just from removing the front lawn, we made no other changes. And um, they, you can log on to your water usage, uh, and you can see all how much you've used for, I don't know how far back it goes, but in June of 2013, we used between 75 and 85 CCFs of water. That was our average use for, for that month. Um, the following July, after we finished our project, we used 14 CCFs. And currently, it's still, we're, we're using that much now. I mean, we, it has never gone up. And you have, so to just put a visual in place for listeners, uh, as you described, it's a, um, a gra- it was a fully lawned front garden that included a parking strip in front of the primary lawn and then areas of, of lawn that were kind of between driveways. So there was, there was quite a bit of lawn. And now it is <clears throat> one year from planting it is almost, let's say, 80% plant material, flowering, grasses, perennials. Um, I don't think I saw any annuals, but trees and shrubs. There are walkways. There's a bird bath. There are a couple of kind of ornamental elements, such as a screen, a, a little kind of arbor screen. And um, so it's not that there is less green than you had with a lawn. It's just different green. Talk about the plants you chose and what they have brought to your life. Um, We didn't know anything about drought-tolerant plants or native plants. So um, we hired a consultant, um, which was John Whittlesey, who kind of guided us through the steps. Um, And he actually chose our plants for us because I didn't even know what a salvia was. Um, So... um, it's just beautiful. Um, we have sages. We have cat mint. The fragrance out front is just delightful. Um, it's not flat, so there's it's um, kind of an English garden kind of style is the way I describe it, but with drought-tolerant plants. And um, you, go ahead. You have a nice little seating area. Talk about sitting in that area in the in the mornings or the evenings and that experience. Yes, um, we decided um, we did so much work um, removing the lawn and putting in these plants, and um, we thought it would be nice to have a little patio out front because we get the morning sun out front. And so my husband and I in the morning love to go out there and sit with our coffee. We, the neighbors laugh at us as they go by um, because we're out there almost every morning having a cup of coffee, and the sound of the bees buzzing the butterflies landing on the plants, and the hummingbirds feeding from the flowers. Um, 
and the fragrance in the texture. I, I, it has been life-changing for us. We, we enjoy it so much. We, are, we have not regretted the work for one moment. And talk about the ongoing care. How, how has, what has your experience of that been? Um, that's funny. Um, our neighbors, when we decided to do this, and they would walk by and we'd be working out there, they'd stop and comment and say, oh, you're going to regret this, you're going to regret this, you are going to be spending hours weeding your yard. Um, we spend 10 minutes a week weeding the yard, and I am not kidding. There is very little maintenance. Um, in February, we did have to do some pruning and cleaning of the, you know, uh, winter cleaning, um, and that took us... Um, a few hours. So um, maintenance has not been an issue. No lawnmowers. We don't have water running down the gutter um, onto the sidewalks and into the storm drain. Um, it's 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 very easy. I, I, I mean, I was kind of worried thinking, oh, we're going to be weeding all the time. No, not, not true at all. Because the, the plants are being watered. Um, we converted our sprinklers into drip. Um, John helped us, you know, lay that out. And of the 109 sprinklers we removed, we um, converted six of them to drip stations. And the the little quarter-inch tubing comes off of that and goes directly to each plant. So each plant's being watered at the base. There's no sprinkling at all. So weeds do not germinate. Um, we had more, a, a little bit more weeding in the spring after the rains, but... Uh, very easy to maintenance. If you had two or three recommendations for other homeowners who are considering taking this on, and I, I have spoken with your husband who did make the note of, if I knew how much work it was going to be, we might not have jumped in, but once it was done, we would have done it over again a thousand times. So what would your recommendations be? It, it seems like the help of a design consultant and then the irrigation and plant selection seem to be crucial to it becoming a success. Yes, I, I would say those would be very helpful. There's lots of information available. Uh, the lo- there's a couple local nurseries who were uh, very knowledgeable about uh, drought tolerant plants. Um, I, I think one recommendation I would make is don't waste your money on one gallon plants. You can dig a much smaller hole <laughs> and use four inch pots in one year, our entire yard was filled in. We did have about six months of driving around the corner where it looked like we had a brown bark yard because all you could really notice was the bark because we put small plants. That was only this year. Well, you saw it. It's, it's almost completely filled in. Mm-hmm. That saves a lot of money. Um, also, local appliance stores were really happy to donate their refrigerator and large appliance boxes, and those make really nice um, uh, cardboard for your mulching if you decide to go that route. Renda Glick, thank you. Renda Glick and her husband, Terry Kaiser, took the challenge in 2015 to replace their lawn with drought-tolerant plantings and permeable surfaces. They are now full-blown gardeners. Evan Markey, Interim Conservation Coordinator with CalWater in Northern California, was the local administrator of the Turf Replacement Program. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio and JewelGarden.com. The program is produced by Sarah Bohannon. 
For this week's audio archive or to subscribe to the podcast, please visit mynspr.org. For more information, including many photos, please visit jewelgarden.com. For daily photos and more, follow Cultivating Place on Instagram or Facebook. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.